we are going to be walking through uh, just a few short verses. Mark chapter 10, uh, starting at verse 13 and going to verse 16. And um, this, this, has, this little section about children um, has some punch to it. Um, and it's one of those things, when I first read through it, honestly, as a pastor, it's like, uh, this is kind of that soft children's sermon kind of stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been in churches where there's that nice little, bring up all the little kids and uh, the pastor? You know, it's really more for the parents than for uh, the kids. But it's one of those, I really felt as I started in it, this is like a kid's sermon. Come on, give me some meat, some deep theology stuff. Uh, well, God kicked me and said, okay, Paul, why don't you read it with my eyes instead of just your selfish heart? So I, I love this stuff. So read along with me, starting at verse 13 um, of Mark chapter 10. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. A little of my story is... uh, I was a teacher for 10 years before God really placed the call of ministry. And it was actually in these halls that I did, did ministry um, as a public school teacher. And then moved up, up the road to Mokina Intermediate School. And uh, one of the things that I was very convicted about is that uh, for me to be uh, a teacher in a public school, a Christian teacher in a public school, I had a responsibility to share the gospel. In some way, shape, or form. I, I, it, it, it was burning in me that I needed to share the gospel. And so how do I do that? As a teacher, you know, you're in a public school and you hear all these separation of church and state. And you share the gospel in a public school, you're going to get canned. You know, you can't do that. You can't talk about Jesus. You can't talk about God. You can't talk about the Bible. So I, as a teacher, I, I got creative. I had this really nice little black Bible that was always in my back pocket, everywhere I went. Everywhere I went in the school, I I carried this Bible with me. And uh, I got it from teachers and administrators and kids. What you got in your pocket? Mr. Broom, Mr. V, what's what's that book? Well, that's, that's a Bible. You can't have a Bible in school. I go, it's a book. What do you mean I can't have a book in school? Ah, you can have a Bible in school? And so all of a sudden doors started opening up. It's like, oh, the rebel teacher bringing a Bible to school, you know? And, uh, and another thing, my heart was just like, okay, I've got to learn to be able to ha- get into dialogues and questions with children so that they ask me questions about my faith. Well, that's, that's all really good stuff to do, but I additionally wanted to get into their lives. I wanted to enter into their little world and show that these children, these fifth graders, have extreme value to me and to God. And so what did I do? 
I went to Burroughs Games, which is the Pee Wee football game, football team out here. I went to more Burroughs Games than I should ever have gone to. I went to more football games, more baseball games, more basketball games. I went to kids' birthday parties. Parents asked me out after basketball games, after Burroughs games, to go to Little Al's and say, hey, we're going, we're, we're going to go have a beer and we're going to have a, a hamburger. You want to come with us? And it's like, I am being invited into their world. And very quickly, administration started watching. What's going on here? And very quickly, I noticed that my classroom load changed from normal kids to kids with a lot of problems. Kids who needed a lot of love and a lot of attention because they saw Mr. Room was giving it to them. This morning, uh, we are looking at a, a very important piece of Scripture. If we believe that all of Scripture is God-breathed and therefore profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, this is, this is an important piece where we can say the gospel is found in this, that God is saying something for us about His grace, His love, His mercy, His sacrifice. This is important stuff that we as a church, the body of Christ, really examines. George MacDonald, who was a Scottish minister who died in about uh, the early 1900s, I think about 1905, he said this, that he doubted a man's Christianity. And those are pretty heavy words. He doubted a man's Christianity if children were never found playing around his door. He doubted a man's Christianity if there were never children playing around his door. Men, think about that. He doubt he would doubt your Christianity if children just were not naturally drawn to him. If, you know, I, I love watching Steve Tooten. I love watching John Meskus. I love watching some of these guys of our church where immediately these little kids come and find him out. My little son, Isaac, finds Uncle Todd every week. He goes and finds him out. John Meskus was holding Logan Schistler earlier, and he was just, you know, goo goo gaga with this, this little guy. And there's something about it that when this child sees, there's something passionate, there's something loving, there's something real about him. Later on, he'll be able to connect. It's Jesus. It's Jesus that made him love and care. But we, we cannot skip this first section, starting at verse 13. Because there were parents, mothers, who were bringing their children to Jesus. And in our day and age, who represents Jesus Christ? Not a rhetorical question. Who represents Jesus Christ? Who? Us. And us would be the church. Individually, the body of Christ. Individuals, each one of you. But also us corporately. And so these parents were bringing these children, their small children, for a simple blessing. It was, it was typical in those days that a, a rabbi would lay his hands and bless the children, say a prayer of blessing over them. And so these parents were recognizing Jesus as a very powerful teacher, a rabbi possibly. And they were bringing him all their children. And what did you have? You had the watchdogs on the outer circle. 
You had the disciples. You had the church. You had the church represented through the disciples. Saying, oh, 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 Jesus got a very busy schedule right here. He's teaching. I'm sorry. You just want a blessing? You know what? Why don't you go home, read through the Psalms. Here's a children's Bible. You know, of course, only then in the Old Testament version. Uh, you know, and you know, you take care of that. You take care of that. And the disciples turned people away and said, you know what? I don't think so. Uh, you, you need to take care of your own children. You, Jesus is extremely busy. Jesus is extremely busy. And you know what? I really think, you know, these disciples were zealous for Jesus Christ. They had a heart for Jesus Christ. They had been walking alongside Him. They had seen Him do these miracles, cast out demons. They'd seen Him do all these things. They were part of that inner circle. They were the cream of the crop, if you will, even though they messed up a lot. These were Jesus' guys, and they were passionate for Jesus. It was even Peter, James, and John that were up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And they saw Jesus in His his pre-existing glory up there with with Moses and Elijah just shining. And they, they go, oh man, we're in the sweet spot. So they recognize the deity of Jesus Christ. And so, they were passionate for Jesus. And I think even sometimes we are extremely passionate for Jesus. And we forget about the the children that are in our midst. Now, I'm not talking about children like the little ones, like little Leah Meskus. I'm sorry, Rachel Meskus. Or talking about, even though Leah is small, uh, talking about, uh, Anne has another one along the way. And we're not talking about just the little children. Because if you look in, in uh, John chapter 1, 1 John, there is this, how John talks about those disciples. He talks about, like in uh, John chapter 2, verse 28, And now, little children, abide in Him. Little children. He's talking about the church. And he's saying, little children, children, abide in Him. And so he's talking about you and me. He's talking about the regular people. And so the church of Jesus Christ, not only, the disciples not only pushed out small children, but I think at times, the church of Jesus Christ, you and me, we push out people who are young and seeking a blessing of some sort, some kind of experience with Jesus. They're really not sure what it is yet. There's some power, there's some something going on. But the church pushes people out. And often for some very, very good reason. Because we love the church. We love the Word of God. But we're not always lovers of people, are we? Really. We're really not always lovers of people. And even, and this is, and I say this carefully, but a lot of times those of us who are Reformed, some of you have no clue what you're ta- I'm talking about. Those of us who are Reformed who say, sola scriptura, by the Word of God alone. You know, we, we get so caught up in the Word of God, and we study it, we sign up for classes, and we forget that the Word is meant for 
feeding, to encourage, to grow, to correct and to admonish, and not just to self-feed, because then you become conceited and puffed up with knowledge. And so, as the body of Christ, we are called to do something. And Jesus very quickly gets on His disciples. Verse 14, But when Jesus saw it, what did He see? He saw the disciples rebuking and sending people away. When Jesus saw that, He was what? He was, what was the word there? Indignant. That is a very nice word for saying he was ticked off. You insert your own word there. But he was not happy. The emotions of Christ at that moment saying, you are being exclusive. You are, you are shutting the gospel pathways down. You are shutting these doors for people who want access to me. And he becomes indignant. He becomes ticked off. Come on, this is why I have come. I've come to seek and save the lost. I've come here for this very purpose, and you are shutting doors down. Shame on you. Shame on you. He became indignant, and he said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. Don't stop them. Don't you dare stop them. For such belongs the kingdom of heaven. I said, listen, don't you stop these little children. I don't care how old or how young they are. Don't stop them from coming to me. And you know what? You know what that did to Jesus' ministry? It probably made things very messy. Very messy. Don't let these, these messy people, these little children, who don't always have that, that discernment switch of when to talk, when not to talk, or when to ask questions, or when not to ask questions, or whether I can do this or cannot do this. You know how children are. You Come to Missy O'Day. Watch them. Have your own someday once you get married. Have your own someday and you'll very quickly learn. Children are not always neat and clean at all. Come to the room's house. We'll show you. We'll, we'll even let you babysit for a night. And you'll learn very quickly that life with children is messy. And that's the body of Christ. And Jesus says, listen, don't hinder them. Don't stop them from coming here. Don't stop them from seeing what this is all about. Because here, listen, for such belongs, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Charles Spurgeon, one of my, my, favorite, uh, my favorite reads. I, I generally try to find a, a sermon from uh, Spurgeon before I, uh, I, I preach because, you know, you've got to go to the dead guys because it seems like the dead guys weren't caught up with technology and all this other stuff. Charles Spurgeon, amazing. Listen to what he said. I will say broadly that I have more confidence in the spiritual life of the children that I have received into this church than I have in the spiritual condition of the adults thus received. Keep on going. I will go even further than that. And you guys see Charles Spurgeon? He's a big man. 
He's a big man. And he said, I'll go even farther than that and say that I have usually found a clearer knowledge of the gospel and a warmer love to Christ in the child converts than the man converts. Keep on going. I will even astonish you still more by saying that I have sometimes met with a deeper spiritual experience in children of 10 and 12 than I have in certain certain persons 50 and 60. And to that I say, Amen. You listen to my daughter pray? Oh my gosh. She's a spiritual giant compared to some of my prayers. Her prayers for her neighbors that they might know Jesus. Her prayers for her grandfather who's going to sleep on a hide-a-bed that he won't have to go to the hospital. You know, her prayers for uh, her, her neighbor who had chicken pox. And she'll pray for these kids week after week after week until she's sure that they're better. She is just convinced that Jesus is real. She doesn't come with all these preconceived notions or these, these doctrinal systems or systematic theologies and tries to fit into it. She comes wanting to know Jesus. And Jesus says, for such as these is the kingdom of heaven. Those are the ones that really, really get it. And so how does a, how does a child, not by age, but how does a child really enter the kingdom? Why? It's by faith. And it's a, a real, very simple faith. It's not a child that gets caught up and asks all these ministry, these questions about the mysteries of the Trinity. So how... Daddy, if Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit is God and God the Father is God, how, do, how are they one God? She doesn't get caught up in all those mysteries. mysteries. She just goes, yeah, it's true. That's God. And, and she, she'll pray believing that this person will be healed. This comes by simple faith. Simple faith trusting in the authority of God. The authority of His Word. You read Scripture, she doesn't want to do these want to do these kind of things where it's like, well, you know, um, Paul was writing to Timothy and really that's kind of a cultural statement and therefore we can't really take that verbatim because, you know, Paul had an agenda. No, she says, that's the Word of God. She believes it. God said it. I believe it. And that's the, the faith of a child. But here we go to, you know, Trinity Christian College. And all of a sudden you're indoctrinated into a system. You go to Dallas Theological Seminary and you get indoctrinated into systems. And you get taught this and this. And all of a sudden you become very skeptical. Or you grow up in a church system. The Reformed Church in America. Or the Christian Reformed Church in America. Or you grow up in this denomination. Whatever denomination you grow up in. And suddenly you go... Oh, I believe that I believe in this system. According to the Reformed Church in America, we believe this. Or the Christian Reformed or the Assemblies of God or whatever it is, whatever. I believe that because this is what my system says. In reality, it's like, no, no, no. You come with the faith of a child. For such is the kingdom of God. We come with very simple faith. And Jesus says, listen, I tell you the truth. In verse 15, truly I say to you, whenever you hear that in the Bible, Old King James, verily, verily, I say unto you, 
or here in the ESC. Truly, I say to you, whenever you hear phrases like that, circle them, underline them, pay careful attention, because Jesus is doing a correction at that point. And he's saying, listen, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. If you don't, if you don't receive the good news of Jesus Christ like a child, you're not going to enter into it. It just, it just doesn't work. And in the Greek, it's really this real solemn kind of pronouncement. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. And Jesus kind of develops it out. Whoever will not receive God's kingdom as a gift, as a, with a trustful attitude of a child will never. And really in the Greek, it kind of does this whole by no means will you enter it. By no other means will you enter it. And she says, listen, your heart has got to be like a child to enter into the kingdom of God. And so what did Jesus do? And it's not something that we can just quickly gloss over. Verse 16. He took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Jesus took small children as he took me when I was 19. He took me into his arms blessed me and held me tight. As a 19 year old. This is not just about little kids that are getting under tow. This is about you. It's about me. It's about how the body of Christ approaches people whose, whose lives are not quite as neat and clean and how do we welcome them in? You know, earlier, when we worshipped at uh, Peace Community Church, and even before that, we prayed one of those prayers. I said, God, and we've been doing this even all the way back. I think Dave Schisler reminded me of this, about how we prayed for messy people to come. Oh, we got it. God answers. The question now is, how does the body respond to people whose lives aren't neatly put together? Do we respond like the disciples who rebuked those people and said, you know what, until you get your lives together, don't, please don't come for a blessing here. Or please don't get underfoot because we, we've got this really good ministry machine going on here. Jesus says, listen, you need to receive people in as I am receiving. I'm going to take them in. I'm going to lay my hands on. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to hold them tight. I'm going to encourage them. And then I'm going to disciple them. I'm going to take them and walk with them. I'm going to invite them into my life. I'm going to walk beside them. We're going to do some teaching. We're going to do some rebuking. We're going to put them back on on path, we're going to connect them with other godly people and say, listen, you come with. I want you to introduce, I want to introduce you to Brad. 
I want to introduce you to Matt. I want to introduce you to Dina. I want to introduce you to Steve. I want to introduce you to these other godly people. The body of Christ. And together we're going to grow together. And it's not going to look pretty all the time. So I'm going to say right now, if you're looking for a clean and pretty and really nice put together church, you're in the wrong place. Absolute wrong, wrong place. I can point you in some churches that would like to have you and I want to encourage you. Maybe that's where you need to grow. But if you want to get your hands dirty, you're in a good place. Where life is not pretty. Where it's in the trenches. I want to give you uh, an example. And uh, technology today can be a blessing and a curse, right? And uh, there's a, uh, a blog that I follow. His, uh, he's a minister down in Albuquerque, New Mexico. His name's Zach Nielsen. And uh, this past week, he wrote a uh, something in his his blog. It's called Take Your Vitamin Z Blogspot.com. And the title of this journal entry was Yesterday We Lost a Member of Our Church Family. Craig, why don't you put that picture, the first picture up. This is the family. His name is Matt. He had a very unique and amazing story. Matt was born in January to a 15-year-old girl at the University of New Mexico Hospital. The family who, or the doctor who performed the delivery was Stephen Brown. He and his wife Rachel are friends of ours at Desert Springs Church where I work. Being so young and single, the birth mom immediately decided that she was going to put the baby up for adoption. Stefan and Rachel quickly decided that they would try to adopt this baby. A very courageous and beautiful decision quickly turned very scary. After about 24 hours, they found out that Matt had a rare condition known as hydrin encephaly. This is a brain disorder where the brain fails to develop quickly or correctly. The front part of the brain is fluid instead of functioning tissue. The disease is terminal, which gave Matt roughly 4 to 12 months to live. This condition technically deemed him unadoptable. Normally, one with a condition would, with this condition would become the property of the state where he would be institutionalized and made comfortable until he passed. This placed the Browns in a very difficult situation. Do they go the hard road of the cross, knowing the gut-wrenching pain that would soon ensue from having to watch this child die, or should they turn him back over to the state? They chose the former, and I know today that they can joyfully say with tears in their eyes that without a doubt that the phrase, it was worth it, doesn't do justice. It was beyond worth it. It was true Christianity in action and provides a bittersweet joy that is beyond words. My wife and I learned much from the Browns. Oh, how I long for more families like them. What would it look like 
in our culture of death for more Christians to be willing to take the hard road of the cross and lay down their lives for the poor, the weak, and the defenseless. This is not to say that we're all called to adoption, but we are all called to lay down our lives by taking up the cross and following Jesus on the road to Golgotha. We know that Golgotha is not the final stop. The resurrection is true for Jesus and for us. There is a joy set before us that can move radical obedience to a place where it is no, where it is no longer seen as radical, but rather normal. I'm so glad that the Browns are willing to take this courageous step. Make no mistake, this was not an easy road for them. Among challenges, Matt did not sleep well at all. They had two older children, both, both young children. Any parent knows that sleep deprivation can drive a person completely nuts while you try to care for the needs of your other children. Stefan is also a very busy OB resident, and his very demanding schedule was also a challenge. Toward the end of Matt's life, he suffered greatly as his body began to shut down. I can think of nothing worse than watching your one of your own children die and knowing there is nothing you can do about it. Yet I'm convinced that when Christians take courageous, faith-filled steps like this, the positive Ripple effect throughout the kingdom of God continues to radiate out beyond our comprehension. The ripple will be seen by believers and unbelievers alike with corresponding impact in different ways for each group. Unbelievers are perplexed as to why one would do such a thing and believers are challenged to do similar acts of loving sacrifice. We need more of this. And what an opportunity for the church to stand up. I said amen to that. When a family bears a cross such as this, do we not all bear the cross together? This bond, this bonds us together as one. This is why we are, what we are called to be. I know that Desert Springs Church exhibited this oneness with the Browns. I'm very proud of our church today. Would you remember the Browns in prayer? Maybe stop and pray for them now. Also, I think we should pray for ourselves that when we are faced with a situation such as they did, we would joyfully say yes to the hard path knowing that it is more blessed to give than receive. May we seek a real lasting blessing. So, this is a picture of Matthew. Left this side and entered the arms of the Savior that's holding and blessing him and enjoying him. And it's really not just a story about a little boy who's a few months old. It's our story. That's what the Gospel is. The gospel is looking at a 50-year-old man saying, you can't do this on your own. You are terminal. You are terminal. 
for the wrath of God is upon you. Apart from the work of my son, you are terminal. You are dead in your trespasses. The work of the church is to represent Jesus Christ and to show the love and embrace the grace that has been shown to us to the rest of the world. To provide life. To provide hope where there is no hope. That's the gospel message. And that is the work of the church. The question is, how do we respond? The question is, how do you respond? You say, that's just a really nice story for them. Or do you enter into the story and say, I'll take the way of the cross and welcome whoever God sends my way. Let's pray. God, it's my hope this morning. It's my hope this morning that we see that this is not just a story outside of us, but it is to be our story. That we are to enter in with a faith like a child that has this utter helpless dependence on You. Not on our programs, not on our work, not on our relationships, not on our degrees, not on our passions, but a, an utter dependence on You, Jesus. God, may that just be true of us here this morning. May that be true of the church of Jesus Christ in this Lincoln Way area, in, in the south side. God, may that just ripple out that we just have an utter dependence on You so that the unbelieving world is just drawn and asks more questions. So Lord, I ask that You prepare the church for this kind of gospel living that we do the work that You have called us to do. And God, as we meet You at at Your supper, at Your table, Lord, may we individually and we corporately remember the work that You have done, how You have purchased us with a price. And that price was with Your own blood, Your perfect life, that You came and gave that. You took on flesh lived a perfect life. You are the righteous one who has set us free by Your blood. So Lord, I pray this morning for anyone who has not yet received this good news. And Lord, that You will work deeply. And Lord, that they will respond to Your loving kindness, Your graciousness, and recognize that they are walking dead in need of a Savior. And that Savior is You And You alone. So Lord, would You bless us as we partake of this meal. Remembering the price that You have paid. But also, Lord, may we enter into this meal with great joy. Knowing that we are the redeemed. That we are called the body of Christ. That we are called to partake in the joy and the suffering. So God, I thank You. I thank You for this time. I thank You for Your Word. And that's not just a children's sermon. 
but it is the gospel that saves. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.